everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Don't Bowl There podcast. Uh, you may be wondering who's this random voice speaking. Well, it's Nick. I'm back again. It's uh, been a while since I've been on the show, but I'm looking forward to a, a great episode today. Uh, we do have a special guest with us, and I'll pass over to Aaron in a sec to introduce her. So really looking forward to it. Braden, Aaron, how are we guys? Good, mate. Yeah, yeah, still going. Can't complain. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Same thing, still going. I'm excited about this one because Very our special excited. guest today is the New South Wales Swiss captain, Matty Proud. How are you going? Very good. Very excited to be here, you guys. Happy to be good to do this in real life. I've got yeah. a, a lot of these Zoom ones, so it's good to see some faces. And, right. yeah, excited for what the podcast has to hold. Yeah. Although I'm not very good at cricket, so I don't know how that's going to work with the don't bowl there. Was the only girl in the year five cricket team, though, so we can talk yeah. about that. Yeah, funny, <laughs> funny that you mentioned that. Um, Firstly, congratulations on giving up the game so soon in your career. Um, something that us three really should deeply into. Um, could cricket have been your your career path instead of netball, or was netball always on that? No, I think netball was always on the radar. I was the biggest tomboy ever growing up. I'll try and show you some photos afterwards. Like, grew up with two brothers, middle child, and I literally wanted to be my older brother. So, had the haircut where I would walk down the street with my two brothers and people would say, hi, boys, thinking I was a boy. So, we'll hopefully get some photos for you afterwards. But a lot of that came from the fact that I just loved playing sports so much, played every possible sport I could. Dad had me throwing a tennis ball before I could walk, um, and that meant kind of playing any sport that my brothers played. And backyard cricket was a big one of them. I like to think of myself was a great, you know, medium fast bowler. Um, couldn't bat. I hit too many sixes, and then that was six and out oh. in our day. So <laughs> I'll play that. Oh, but yeah. no, you played <laughs> literally anything I could. And then I think netball. I think I started when I was five or six, and kind of loved it from the beginning. And then yeah, played a lot of sports, kind of as like with netball. But then as netball got more serious, kind of just had to kind of pick and choose what I did. And yeah, went down the avenue of netball. Were you always good at netball? Um, like. Without, you know, exploding my head. But I think I was yeah. I was very lucky that I think having that upbringing, I was quite naturally good at a lot of sports. Um, yeah, did the cricket, did the touch footy and all of that. And I think netball was probably the one that I loved the most and probably was the best out of the ones that I did play. Um, started off as a goal attack. So I think when you were younger, you're like, if you were going to play netball, you're going to be a goal attack. Quickly got moved to goal defence because I was actually the tallest on the team, which is hard to believe now because they're on the shortest <laughs> and the swifts. Um, but yeah, it was, was pretty lucky that I was, um, I think mum had played. So kind of grew up, you know, I, I did junior training camps for netball when I was sort of four or five. So it was kind of in me from a, a young age. And um, yeah, probably was one of the better players on the team for most of my junior years. Very good. Um, well, we'll just go back to the start of your life. You were born uh, December 4th, 1993. Dad's sort of 62, I think. Mum's nearly 60 and both still play tennis on a Saturday. Dad was quite a good football, like AFL football, played um, sort of Sam full level. Um, and so, yeah, sport was kind of ingrained in us. And in saying that, though, also the kind of school side of things, like my mum for a lot of my younger years was sort of the working um, class. Dad owned his own garden centre, but mum was a journalist, so um, kind of had that kind of ingrained in me from a young age as well and loved school, um, loved Adelaide. 
Um, again, a big tomboy, so didn't have friends that were girls until I was probably in year three or four, and um, that's really where the netball came into it and made you know, a lot more girlfriends through that. Um, yeah, still very close to my brothers. Um, loved Adelaide, grew up sort of near the beach and so sort of surf life-saving and things like that. Um, when a lot of family holidays, it was sort of a big thing for my parents. They actually got some funny stories for you, I should tell you. My, my parents, so my dad, for starters, worked sort of for the – United Nations doing irrigation work and he worked in like Jordan, Iraq, the Middle East, did all oh, that. Oh. Travelling around everywhere, wasn't I know, he? he's gone everywhere, gone everywhere. And he, um, dad's birthday's on Christmas Eve and then obviously got Christmas and he's driving to work one day and my dad's a very stubborn man. Like he's just, it's his way or the highway and he's driving down, <laughs> he's in Iraq and he's driving down the street and then someone behind him in this flash car is beeping at him, telling him to pull over and get out of the car. And dad's like, I'm not, pull, I'm not doing anything wrong. You're not a police officer. I'm not pulling over for you. So it goes for ages. Anyway, eventually he gets sick of it. He's like, all right, I'll pull over. The driver of the car gets out holding the gun, smacks Dad across the head with the gun like he still has stitches in his head from the cut oh, that he wow. made. Dad ends up in jail for two weeks and has no idea why until he gets out and he found out that it was a Christmas parade for Saddam Hussein and Saddam Hussein was in the car of where the driver got out and smacked him across the head. So oh, that stop. was illegal. That's and so and in those days, they like, can't call his family because they're writing stuff and writing letters oh, back no. home. He's not knowing when he's going to get out of jail and he's then yeah, found out it's all because of Saddam Hussein. So wow. a lot of fun. And then the flip side, my mum, when she out of school, when lived in a kibbutz in Israel, so like a kind of commune where you get free accommodation if you go and just do a bit of work and it's kind of a bit of a party, but also obviously a working. And she grew up in a Catholic family, went to a Catholic school, and she's writing letters home to her parents saying, you know, I'm working in this latex glove factory, but they act, it's weird. They only, you know, they only uh, do one, one finger of a glove at each time. <laughs> Turns out she's working in a condom factory in Israel. So mum and dad's life very interesting to live with. Um, yeah, then they both lived in Ethiopia and, um, yeah, we were very – did a lot of overseas trips. We went around Europe in a camper van for six weeks with when I was sort of seven, my younger brother was four and Max and my older brother was eight or something like that. So, yeah, that kind of side of things is, yeah, definitely made me want to do those things and travel and, yeah, been very lucky to kind of do that since I was a kid. So you talk about, like – Obviously, your brothers and they're obvious. They're quite good AFL footballers. So, did you always sort of grow up in that sort of AFL type family, yeah. Aussie rules? Yeah, hundred percent. I didn't even know. Like, I didn't know there was just between rugby union and rugby league until I moved to Sydney. Oh, like in Adelaide, there's no like you know I played touch footy at school and and that was kind of as close as I came to experiencing rugby. But yeah, like my brother now is the captain of the Glenelg Sandful team, so he's doing pretty well. And it was actually funny last year when we won. He won the grand final a week later, and so I flew to Adelaide and watched him and it was crazy how similar like they'd gone from being never in finals to then which was the same as Swifts and the next year finishing the same position as us and like we just kind of kept to follow each other so that was cool but yeah all AFL mad Crows fans like that's why I probably didn't grow up watching like I love obviously played a lot of netball but never really watched a whole lot of netball because every weekend it was either going to football like AFL games or going to watch my brothers play or yeah anything to do with that so so very much like sort of Eddie Betts text yes well see Eddie Eddie back then played Carlton so I was so excited when he came to Crows it was more like your Andrew McLeod your Simon Goodwin's Mark Rusciuto's, so, um, yeah, like, we'd spend Saturday afternoons, you'd go and go down to, it was about Amy Stadium at the time, and they'd have, like, the, I guess it's the, ver- like, the American version of a um, tailgate party, and you'd have that before yeah. the game, all the kids are playing footy, and there's barbecues, and, yeah, like, our whole weekend, particularly in winter, was footy, and then in the summer, it was probably, yeah, tennis and surf life saving, so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. probably childhood sort of revolved around those sporting things. 
You mentioned not watching netball. Is mm. that like a lot of cricketers? They play cricket, but they don't watch cricket mm. or professional cricket. Anyway, they hate watching it. Is that similar to yours? No, you just don't it, watch it, you, it probably it? back then it was that was the reason, and then it probably hasn't been until I moved to Sydney that I've really gone into watching, which is weird. Cause it's like you're essentially watching yourself or your mm. other games, but now. I've like I live with May Turner and May Turner is the ultimate what we call it, like a netball nerd. Like she just knows <laughs> everything. Nothing. Literally yeah, yeah. nothing. Yeah. Ever since living here, because it's like you don't have to compete for a TV and you're living with mm. other netballers. Whereas I had no chance of getting the netball on the yeah, TV. So yeah. it wasn't probably so much I didn't want to watch it. It was just that I yeah didn't have access to watch yeah. it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm. Uh, well, starting your netball career, obviously got signed. At the age of 16, mm. the youngest person to, or youngest netballer to contract as a pro team. Done your research and loving this. I'm just focusing out here. Um, tell us about growing up, like rocking up to school, knowing I'd be mm. better than everyone else first, <laughs> and then also balancing like a, a, a sport. Yeah. Yeah, that, it was interesting because it's weird the way that sort of sport worked in Adelaide, particularly with netball, because I think like, I went to a school that was very like, AFL dominated and it was like your first day there and they were like royalty and it was like, you know, you had to play for your school for footy before you could go and play anywhere else. Was Whereas for netball, it wasn't even like that. Like I didn't even play netball for the school because I was playing club netball in the city um, because that was kind of where the best competition was. Um, so it was kind of weird. Like you, you probably didn't do heaps through the school until it came to like knockout carnival or um, yeah, we did like an exchange with another school. But I often kind of had to miss out on things like that because I was doing other commitments sort of things. So it probably wasn't until I actually, yeah, got signed to the Thunderbirds and I still remember the day like sitting in our little circle telling my friends that I was like, I was like, I think I might have like a contract for next year and <laughs> no one could believe it. Like it was the funniest thing. Like, I got called T-Bird for the whole year. Like I'd walk through the corridors. Like I was like, I'd say I was like Hannah Montana and I lived this double life. I was like this normal kind of school kid that, you know, was sort of half, you know, famous now because of the netball stuff but on the weekends you're like traveling to New Zealand or traveling to Sydney or, or going you know wherever and um being this sort of like professional athlete so it sort of was yeah living the best of both worlds but also it was obviously full-on like trying to balance your 12 and doing that but I was lucky that like teachers put my articles up in their classrooms <laughs> and gave me extensions on assignments and I love school as well so I was always a semi-decent student and did like an extra subject in year 11 which meant that by year 12 I could have an extra free lesson to go to training or whatever but yeah we'd sort of go from training in the morning to school to back to training to yeah doing all that so I got good at time management and yeah. now it's like if you've got too much time I'm the most unproductive person yeah. in the world but if I've got 10 minutes like I'll get it done so, yeah it was definitely I still look back on that year and like that year in year 12 was one of the best because our season finished earlier that year, which meant that we still got to go to form, we still got to go to schoolies, so yeah. kind of got to do, still do everything I wanted to do um, while obviously yeah, living my dream of playing yeah. netball. You don't sort of lose that sort of being a student and being a kid type yeah. going through that phase despite I, being like contracted. Probably, I don't think I did so much at the time, like I, especially in year 12, I think I got lucky in that it was a World Cup year, which meant the season went from like February to June rather than like April to October or whatever, so... Yeah, yeah essentially by June when all your stuff for school is picking up and that's when all the fun happens and all the parties and the formals yeah. and all that. So I think had that not worked out to be like that, I probably would have felt a bit differently about it. But when I look back, like I think being up by such a young age was great, but it also did force me to grow up quite early. And then in saying that, I think it probably then took me longer to mature because I'd always been the young one and the old one out of being 10 years younger than who you're playing with. Um, that I probably, yeah, now in hindsight – 
whether it was the best thing for my nephew, I don't know, but it was an amazing experience. But I think that, yeah, I definitely feel like now moving to Sydney, I've got this kind of new perspective on netball rather than when probably I was in Adelaide being kind of this young kid that kind of just used that as a bit of an excuse for a while. Mm. How did you find out about your first contract and did your mum have to sign for you? Yeah, it actually, it was a funny story because I obviously never expected it, but I, um, I just got knee surgery. Like I tore my meniscus and this is when I was playing just like I was at the Sassy's like South Australian Sports Institute and tore my meniscus and I was very dramatic thinking, you know, I'm going to be, my netball career's over. I'm having this knee surgery, feeling really sorry for myself. Come out of like my checkup a couple of months later, get in the car and mum's called me and she's like, oh, I've just had a phone call from Jane Woodland-Thompson who was the coach at the time and, yeah, she just said, oh, she wants to offer you a contract for next year and I was like, why is she calling you, like, rather than me? It's just like she had to get my permission because you're under 18. So <laughs> mum literally had to sign the contract and I still remember, like, signing um, the actual piece of paper and my signature then was, like, MBP, which is my initials. Like, it was, like, MBP <laughs> with a line through it and I reckon we spent, like, the entire year that year at Thunderbirds, like, trying to work out a new signature for me. It was, like, every free spot and, like, opportunity we got, it was me writing on the whiteboard, like, everyone coming up with what their version of my signature should be. So I can thank those girls for what this today <laughs> early in your career i was reading i was reading the, an article uh, and he's done this. do you have like a reference this, list or something is, like is that? it wikipedia though because no I've got... there wasn't much on wikipedia <laughs> no I, I use wikipedia all i could find was the children's book so. oh no but it was when we were in queensland about three weeks ago we were on wikipedia and you can edit wikipedias and so sophie garvin had changed my wikipedia page to say i was born in 2000 <laughs> and to say i was six foot three and that my education was Derek zoolander's center for kids who can't read and it stayed like that for about a week and then she got this message from Wikipedia being like, you have been blocked. Oh, <laughs> so no. I was wishing that you would have come up with that and been like, you don't look <laughs> 20 and you don't look six foot three and you have a better education than Derek Doolan. She'd be like, so did you ever meet Derek? Yeah. Good principal. Well, no, I've read an article and it said you lost by, you, early in your career, you lost the game by 15 points and um, you're a big fan of Justin Bieber and you played the song Be Alright. Oh, my God. Um, and it wasn't received very well. Is this my Players Voice article? For the yeah, Players Voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great page. But um, yeah, you played Be Alright and yes. you got a stern talking to. So I think oh. this is probably reflecting back on those early days yeah. in Adelaide where I think yeah, coming in as a 16-year-old, you kind of can hide under the idea that you're this young kid and you kind of you know can get away with a bit more because everyone thinks that you're the, the young one. And then I think maybe I've probably carried on a little bit too much in terms of that immature side and I think upon reflection I, I don't know whether it's still the worst thing in the world I think maybe it was the team that I was in and the coach that we had and the coach that we had and everything like that just probably didn't um respond well to yeah me trying to lighten the mood a little bit at the end of the tough loss and playing some Justin Bieber and thinking that it was you know timely everything's going to be all yeah, right yeah. is what the song says lighten the mood. um but yes upon reflection maybe you know when you've just lost a goal game by 15 goals, a game that you shouldn't have lost, um, maybe you shouldn't be the one going to the, the speakers straight away. So <laughs> I've definitely had a lot of learnings uh, throughout my time, but yeah, I guess my intentions were pure at the time mm. and it was just to maybe lift a bit of morale, but um, yeah, sometimes you do need to sit in those losses for a little bit longer than a couple of minutes and <sighs> maybe Justin Bieber can come on it you know, <laughs> half an hour later rather than five minutes after, but yeah, I think that probably was a moment for me where I realised, you know, maybe better kick into gear. But in saying that, I think it also taught me that 
you know, that was who I was and that's who I am and kind of staying, having that balance between being true to myself and being that kind of joker that does want to kind of make people happy and whatever, but also being able to be serious when it matters, I guess. Mm, yeah, that's, I feel like that's a pretty common thing, the yeah. whole sort of, like, especially with all the access with, with media mm. and, and TV and, and seeing players in dressing sheds after a loss and mm. they're all quite jovial and, and happy and, and a lot of sort of past players in all sports see that as, as a sign of disrespect yeah. because because like all their fans and members who, who come to the game and see them get beat. You saw it quite a bit with the Brisbane Broncos yeah. in the this season. Is that a common thing in all sports? Or Yeah, I think – and it's, it's tough as well because like it even flips to say like before a game and it goes back to – when you've got so many different personalities, particularly in team sports, like we sit in our change rooms and there's, you know, myself and a few others that our way of getting pumped up for a game is to blast the music and get really up and about and kind of get the high energy to get us kind of going, whereas you've got others that all just want to sit there with their own headphones in, be in their own zone, be really kind of like mellow and relaxed. And when you're in a room that's, you know, a couple of metres wide and you're all sitting on top of each other, you got to kind of find that fine line between respecting each other and being able to get yourself prepared for a game. But I guess that's probably a, a different story in terms of post-match. Um, yeah, I think there's that fine line between no professional athletes want to lose because you're hardwired to be competitive and, and you, know, you don't train every day, blood, sweat and tears to lose a game. So no one's ever going to not you know, be happy when you lose because that's not what you play sport for. But I think some people just show that or express that differently and I think that's even something that we have, as a team ourselves have had to do and I think that's where, you know, when the media sees it, they're not necessarily seeing an accurate reflection of, you know, just because someone's maybe having a laugh with a teammate on the inside, they could be, you know, being teared to shreds but their way of being able to cope with it is being up and about. So I think it's, yeah, again, there is that fine line and perception is a big thing and I think particularly when you are in the limelight, you do have a responsibility to kind of, you know, reflect um, your club and your brand and, and all of that, but you also have to be authentic to yourself. So that's probably something that even for me, like I've I've had to juggle in the last few years as I got older is, yeah, but that fine line between being, even being a captain, it's like, you know, being a captain that has a good time, but also being a captain that can, you know, have the hard words. So I think it's, yeah, definitely a balancing act and it's hard to get the right balance. Oh, I thought that was, um, that was a good point how like everyone does react to, to losses in different ways and they all got their different coping mechanisms so obviously some people may be upset angry that kind of thing other people deal with it through humor and that kind of thing is a good point but yeah media perceptions doesn't always show the true the true side of what's really going on um you did say that uh you like to blast the music before games to get yourself pumped up do you try and uh sneaking a bit of Justin Bieber in there or <laughs> there's no sneaking it's in your face like there's no I'm like that we have to have at least like you know 10 Justin Bieber songs on this playlist but I'm very lucky that the people that do the music are the people that I live with and they actually appreciate him as much as I do oh, wow. so we do oh, that makes it so much easier. <laughs> we try and cater for everyone we've got Sam Wallace who's a Trinidadian and we always chuck a few you know <laughs> Trinidadian do you guys know, you know Dwayne Bravo yeah, yeah. we play Dwayne Bravo the champion just to get because he's from Trinidad so Sam wow. Sam knows him. We actually did a video for him for, I think it was for Champion, like to send him to do for one of his social media things, something like that. So Sam and and DJ Bravo are good friends. But we've got a very, yeah, we've got a real mixed, actually you should get Sam on the podcast. She would be great value. She'd be great value. But, um, yeah, we we have a very uh, good mix. But we've got into some old school um, music lately as well. We always play Dancing in the Moonlight just before we go out on court. Oh, top loader, yeah. 
we're on great the, choice. Great choice. a wide range of music taste in our team. <laughs> well, I actually have this superstition where I can't listen to Bluetooth at all before, before a game. Oh. Otherwise, otherwise, I have an awful game. Um, so you just yeah. don't listen to anything? Or well, I listen to the radio. Uh, I can listen to the radio. That's all right. But. Seriously. But then do you get, like, superstitious about it? Like, because I used to have a thing that if I was listening to the radio yeah. and a certain song came on, I'd be like, I know that I'm going to have a good game today. Oh, or if that song oh, doesn't come on. But that's, that's why I mean. try and control. But just, then you worry if it doesn't come on. Yeah. But, yeah, but I'll, I'll just find out, do you have any superstitions? I actually I got asked this the other day and I try not to have too many superstitions and I know that a lot of people are different in this sense. But for me it's like, it's a, again, it's a balancing act between having a routine and having something that you know makes you comfortable and confident. Because if you do the same thing, then you can feel like you're prepared. But then also, if something goes wrong, then everything goes to shit and you're screwed. So like, I used to have girls in the team that would have to strap left ankle first, then right ankle, or have to wear the same sports bra, or, or do things like that. I probably do more things like subconsciously. Like I might do the sports bra thing sometimes, or the scrunchy thing. Like you know, wear a certain scrunchy, and but that's pretty basic. But other than that, like. You know, I'll most of the time have like pasta the night before or, or do things like that and yeah, wanna play some Dustin Bieber, but there's no, yeah, okay, at this time this has to happen, at this time this has to happen. Um, just because I kind of like to be a bit more flexible and like even like that's like this year when we were in the hub and we were traveling to Brisbane for games, like we had one game where we were on the bus and we were based at the sunny coast, so it was an hour and a half away and there was terrible traffic. So the bus was late, we were late getting to the game, we had like next to no time to get ready, we got dressed on the bus, like things like that. So I think if you're one of those people that's too you know, regimental what you do, yeah. something like that will completely throw you off yeah. and you won't be able to perform. So I think, yeah, you've got to be flexible and adaptable, but also having yeah, you set kind of preparation it also does help so yeah. it's a balancing act so um, yeah. you obviously talk about this season was hampered by, by COVID and you had to sort of go to, to uh, Brisbane was it? Yeah so we were, games are sort of between Brizzy and the sunny coast and yeah, so okay. we, we were based on the sunny coast yeah, so, yeah. and then uh, so you're in hub life for like yeah. three months what was that like? See, I loved it. Like, I think I obviously I live with teammates here, so we kind of already live in our own little hub. And for me, leaving Sydney to go to Queensland, it wasn't like I was leaving home, as in I was already living out of home. Whereas, yeah, girls that had to leave partners or families or, or whatever. Whereas for us, it was kind of this, oh, we're still living <laughs> together, but we get to live on Malulabar Beach and we get to you know go to the beach every morning and and kind of be with your best mates yeah. for, for three months straight. But in saying that, it also had its challenges, like from probably. A holistic point of view in that you know you are on top of each other all the time there's no escaping it if you have a shit game you're around your teammates the whole time we played midweek games so it was condensed yeah. which meant sometimes you had a one day t- day turnaround um but no the actual like hub experience i think i can probably speak for almost everyone like even the girls that were you know a bit apprehensive about going into one end up having the best time yeah. and we were lucky a in our setup like being at the beach and in a small sort of town, we had a bit more freedom, um, whereas I know that a lot of the AFL and NRL teams, you know, were very restricted with what they could do. We still weren't allowed to do a whole week, but you could go and get coffee and sit outside and go to the beach and, and do all that. Um, so that was, yeah, awesome for us. And I think for me as well, like I was, this year was always just going to be exciting because I was coming back from my knee and then it actually worked out well for me and the, the season was meant to start 
think it was end of April or something, and I wasn't due to be back playing till sort of June, um, so I would have missed half the season anyway, whereas the season getting pushed back meant that I played a full season. So awesome. we kind of kept joking about the fact that I was the one person that benefited yeah. from coronavirus. <laughs> I say that very, very sensitively towards everyone that's been affected by it, but, yeah, it's been a little shining light for me in that I got to yeah, play a full season and, yeah, the hub experience was I, we always said it's something that you can tell your kids about and you can yeah, say yeah. not many people are ever going to say they got to live in a, in a hub. Um, yeah, and we were yeah, very lucky. And I think, again, you have to have the right team and the right dynamic mm. and I think, yeah, we definitely had that so we were very lucky. Well, on to netball. Uh, <laughs> what? That's what we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> it's a cricket podcast. Uh, yeah, come on. Uh, we obviously moved to the Swiss in 2017. Uh, tell us about the move and yeah. what, what made you, what position it yeah, New South Wales and all that. Yeah, it was like the biggest decision I ever made. Like it, I remember feeling sick about it for like months because I'd like obviously been at Thunderbirds since I was sixteen. They'd given me an opportunity. It was all I'd ever known, and had loved my time there. But I'd been in under twenty ones Australian teams and had been captain of that team and gone to a World Youth Cup and kind of done all these amazing things when I was younger. And then I felt like I probably had these sort of two or three years where I really just plateaued. And a few girls that majority of the girls that had been in that twenty ones team went on to be in the Diamonds or be starting players for their what um, was A and Z teams and, and all of that. Whereas I was still kind of getting a regular court time. Like I had years where I played a bit more, even in my last year at Thunderbirds, I won an MVP, but that was still off only playing kind of, you know, I wasn't starting every game and finishing every game. So I just kind of felt like I had a lot more to give, but just didn't know whether I was in the right environment, mainly because I was just too comfortable being in Adelaide and being at the Thunderbirds and it was all I'd ever known. So kind of just, yeah, got to the end of that year and there were a few changes happening and that was an SSN came in as well. So the new competition, new teams, a lot of players were moving um, and I'd never had a manager before, like never had any of that. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to see what's out there and kind of just see if I have any other options and go from there. Um, and then Anita Keelan, who's the uh, assistant coach of the team at the Swifts now, she'd been our assistant coach of our under-21s team. So she actually sent me a Facebook message and it was so funny because she sent a, a Facebook message to my fan page. Like, you know, you have those Facebook oh, fan pages, yeah. which I didn't realise until like a month after we'd been going back and forth on this page that it was actually like administrated by the Thunderbirds. So I was like, their media girl probably could have been looking at all these messages, but I, I don't think she would have. Yeah, it just kind of felt like the Swifts had a good environment. Like that Paige Adley was here. I'd played with her on the 21s teams. Obviously, knew Anita. They kind of had a big turnover of players. So I was coming into sort of a fresh team that I knew would have, you know, a few new girls. Maddie Turner, who I live with now from Adelaide, was already here and ended up that yeah, Sarah Clow, who was also from Adelaide, who I was playing with at the Thunderbirds. We didn't even know, but we both ended up at the same night being like, where are you going? And we're both going to the oh, Swifts. So, yeah. It just kind of, it was one of those things where you just felt like everything fell into place. Um, and yeah, felt like I have not looked back since and just think, I sort of say now that my netball life has these two parts where it was, yeah, when I was in Adelaide, which again, I cherish and I think it developed me so much. But then, I, yeah, kind of feel like I've been reborn in a way since coming to Sydney. And um, yeah, obviously got that consistent court time and started to find more form and then moving into captain. And then, yeah, obviously this year being able to get in the Diamond squad, just feel like, yeah, I've been pushed out of my comfort zone, which definitely helped. Yeah, congratulations on getting into the yeah. Diamond Squad, first and foremost. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Yeah, it's been a little while. It was one of those ones I didn't, never realised I'd feel old being in something like that. But, you know, you're 26 and you don't think you're that old, but then when you see that other girls that are your age have been in that team for a fair few years, it was, um, yeah, very, very exciting. So... Next step, get in the team, but yeah. we can work on that. That's all right. You got, you got the backing from yeah, the, from oh, the that, boys. That's, yeah, all yeah, that's all I need. That's all I need. 
So um, you mentioned that you are you captained the Australian under twenty one team. So you were in that team when you were eighteen. Um, so just describe like uh, what it was like during that competition um, and making it to the final. Um, the whole under twenty ones experience was actually it was one of the best I've ever had, and I kind of feel bad for the girls that are in the twenty ones environment now because the kind of processes all change, but. Because the World Youth Cup happens every four years, like at Com Games or something like that, you kind of were in this cycle of like once you kind of became under that age group, they'd try and get you in from quite young. And so, yeah, as you said, I was in there from when I was 18 playing in that under-21s team where you went to New Zealand and travelled and, and did all of that and then even did a trip to Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica with all those girls and it was kind of the, the biggest thing that you could do was be in this sort of 21s team and even so, I was on a three-year contract at the Thunderbirds and they released me from my contract for a year to go on with the AIS in Canberra because they wanted all the girls that were, you know, potentially going to be in this team because obviously even though you'd been in it for the years before, they still had a selection right before you went to the World Youth Cup. But they, yeah, wanted, you know, as many girls as they could that were going to be in contention for this team to go and live in Canberra. And, like, to this day, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was like... It's kind of the closest you could get to kind of living in college in America, which is something I'd always kind of dreamed of doing. You're living on campus and you've got all these other athletes from all different sports. I was 19, so we had all this freedom where you kind of trained really hard Monday to Friday, but then our coach would go home on the weekend. So you go out. And I don't. Oh. It was definitely not the best thing for my netball, but it was definitely the best thing for my life outside of netball. And, like, we just had an absolute ball. And you kind of, yeah, you're living out of home, but you have a dining hall where they cook for you. You have cleaners that come into your rooms, and essentially all you have to do is just keep yourself alive and, and train and, and do all of that. So that whole kind of, yeah, two, three, four years leading into the World Youth Cup were amazing. And then... On court, like we played New Zealand, I'm going to say 10 times leading into that, and we beat them every single time. No one ever got close oh. to us. We had this, the team that we had in that 21s team, like you got every single person I think in that team now has gone on to play for the Diamonds and, oh. and all that. We had this kind of superstar team, but then, yeah, you get to Glasgow in Scotland, which is where the World Cup was, and it's, it was, again, incredible when you go through all the opening ceremonies and you, you're there for sort of two, three weeks. We went to a training camp for a week beforehand, and then you're playing in the competition and you're playing against like teams like Israel who have girls that come up to people's belly buttons and you know just amazing things like they weren't allowed to play on Sundays because they had to go to church and like you're just kind of exposed to all these different cultures but in saying that we would win 100 goals to 10 or whatever and so you don't have a hard match until the second week and that was you know our hardest match before the grand final was against England that we won by 20 goals and so then you kind of roll into this grand final where it's like four years in the making and you've lived, you've moved to live somewhere else to, for this team and, and all that. And then I think for us it was just we got kind of, I don't know whether we got too confident or we just got complacent or whether we were just too nervous to stuff up because we'd won every game and, yeah, we had an absolute shocker yeah. and lost. Well, we, we came back a little bit towards the end, but it was, yeah, definitely not the kind of fairy tale finish that, we had thought those kind of four years would bring. Um, and I remember having to do like a radio interview like minutes after the game and just being like, how the hell am I going to compose myself for wow. this? Um, but, yeah, obviously just like apart from that very last game, like that whole 21s experience and everything leading up to that was, yeah, incredible. I, I was in Europe after that, which meant I got to travel around Europe for months because you had your free flights paid yeah. for. You. My parents came over, like brother came over. Like it just, yeah, the whole experience was very, very cool, but. Yeah, the nipple side of things maybe not so much. <laughs> so, um, well, obviously, 
you got you got picked up quite at quite a young age and you're playing on the twenty ones for Australia and now you've just been picked in the Diamond Squad. Was there ever a time when you got picked up at a young age where you thought to yourself, like I could really go all the way here and and represent Australia and like I could really back myself here? Yeah, I think like that's obviously always a dream and yeah. I think then obviously going like being in that under twenty ones program um, from such a young age and I was probably one of the ones that was in there before anybody else in the, you know, well, that even had part of the other cycle. And then as the years went on, other girls would come in and I was the first one to have been, you know, signed to a ANZ team and, and all of that. Um, and so obviously in those years you're thinking like, yeah, God, like if things keep going the way they're going, like I could kind of go all the way here. But I don't know whether that then was to my detriment because it meant that maybe I did kind of just expect that things would happen and um, maybe I got lucky in a way that I got things you know, not handed to me, but I was, you know, didn't sort of miss out on many teams, bar an under-15 state team, blah, 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 but then, you know, went kind of had a pretty smooth trip up until then. And I think that's probably why I kind of post that 21 stuff when, you know, then I was not sort of getting much more time and, then, you know, other girls were starting to make diamonds and, and that kind of couple of years happened. That's probably when, like, the bit of doubt came in being like, you know, I sort of knew I was – I thought I was still good enough, but I wasn't sort of getting heaps of court time and I still wasn't playing that well and I guess that kind of idea of, you know, you have all the success when you're young and then am I burnt out or am I – what is it sort of thing. Um, and that's probably, again, what prompted that trip to Sydney. Um, and I guess even then I probably never had – I guess you always have diamonds on your radar, but for me it was always like, you know, if you perform well with your club team, the rest will take care of itself. And I've always been someone that's like – I'd rather win and play well and do well with the players and the teammates that you've trained for all year. I'd rather that than, you know, just have one game where you, you know, the name of getting in the diamonds. And while that's obviously always been a dream, I think I probably was always focused on the club side of things. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it was until I got the phone call a couple of months ago and like, I cry when I found out because I think I just thought that door had closed, um, especially given, you know, being a bit older and the other girls already being in it. Um, then it probably wasn't until I got the call that I was like, yeah, shit, I've really wanted this for a long time and probably just hadn't let myself, um, you know, maybe it's like a defence thing in terms of, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I want to be in the Diamonds, but maybe not, you know, that bad. But I think I realised, yeah, I wanted it pretty bloody bad until it happened. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling you knew well before you were picked up by the Thunderbirds because is it true that you used to sign your... Um, Christmas cards and birthday cards to your friends with your signature, and then say, and then say, for when I'm getting, yeah. Oh God, you've done your this. research. And I'm kind of, I, now I'm scared about anything that I ever put out into the internet that it's going to come back and bite me. I reckon me. you know a lot more about Maddie than what Maddie does. Yeah, I know. I'm like, did I really been through, do that? Been through everything. But wow. yes, Maddie, like I was always kind of a joke. Like that's kind of the way yeah. I still am. Is a bit of a joker. And I used to yeah, joke around with my friends. I'd yeah, literally sign birthday cards or anything and be like my little MVPs and say, my autograph when I'm famous. But then also when I was in year nine, like I went to middle school and each year level they changed this kind of structure one year and it was like you know year six were colors year seven were op- like um gemstones or whatever and year nine were female sporting teams and I got put in the nine Thunderbirds class and I said to everyone I was like you know they've put me in the nine Thunderbirds <laughs> yeah. because they know that I'm gonna play the Thunderbirds one year <laughs> sure enough blah, 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 later you're getting contracted exactly like, oh. so I always <laughs> always joked about that and I always you know would write on your goals and I was like what's your goals and yeah everyone would say to be a doctor or whatever yeah. and I would always say you know to play for Australia or do that and stuff and yeah, I guess I probably did it mainly as a joke when I was younger, but yeah. I guess that subconscious part is like, 
yeah, if you kind of think it, then hopefully it's more <laughs> chance that it will happen. So that's me, yeah. arrogant and a joker. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you played for you played in Adelaide. You've been you're playing in New South Wales currently. You played for the Diamonds. You you played a lot of games. Have you? Any good celebration stories? Any good circuit stories? You know, going out with the girls. Oh, well, you just did a. You actually just did a trip down from yes. Gold Coast through Byron and Coffs Harbour yeah. for a few days. So that would be pretty. Uh, I know. I think the thing about netball is, is probably like other sports is that you don't like you don't drink that much during the season, well, kind of barely at all. And so when you do celebrate at the end, you, you do <laughs> go pretty hard. Um, oh, in terms of like specific stories, I don't know if I have that many. It's funny though. We've got a few girls that have their alter egos that come out, like Sarah oh. Cloud, who's upstairs. She she becomes Sally because she just turns into this completely different person when she drinks and it's so funny. Um, but, yeah, we did like a – we had these couple of weeks in the Gold Coast where we joked about getting tattoos GC 2020 because we had such a good time. We yeah. Like it was just, yeah, obviously coming out of the hub and then there were a lot of other sports people around and, and things like that. And I think, yeah, we um, definitely enjoyed that. But I think for us, we're, we're very like um, – like in terms of when we go out, you always – and no matter how much time you spend together, you just always congregate together and you're just mm. in a big group and it always involves some form of karaoke or some form of, you know, singing, dancing. Um, we had Mad Monday after we won last year at our place and just, yeah, games. Wow. We played that, you know that game where you, like, have to rip off a bit of the cardboard box and you have to oh, get lower and lower and you have yeah. to try and grab with your teeth. And, like, yeah, that's right. We had girls like Sarah, who's, like, seven foot tall nearly. Like, we, like, not many girls knew that she used to do calisthenics, so you can almost do the splits. So oh. she's there, like, look at her strength and conditioning coach who's, like, ripped his pants pretty much, <laughs> like, from trying to get down. Like, yeah, just a lot of funny ones like that. I mean, yeah, in terms of actual stories that come to mind, I kind of can't think of any specific ones except for after the grand final last year in Brisbane. You know, Liz Ellis? So she's... She was, she's like yeah. a, a commentator, oh, yeah, she was, yeah. was captain at Australia, all that. He's like, she's on Sports Sunday. She's like, made a name for herself as this, yeah, was obviously one of the best netballers ever, captain of Australia, and now has gone into media and everything. So a lot of people know who she is. Anyway, she's an ex fifth and is friends with Bryony, our coach. And so we've all gone out uh, for the game last year, and she's in her mid 40s. Um, and anyway, she's like gone to come into the pub we're at, <laughs> and the security guard has stopped saying that we're not going to have an ID, blah, blah, blah. And it was like oh, a random oh. pub. Like they weren't even like scanning or anything like that. Anyway, the security guard has not let Liz Ellis in. Wow. And it was the like I'm there standing at the entrance like screaming like, do you know who she is? Like this is Liz Ellis. Like I'm filming it on my phone. Like <laughs> I'm up on Google showing this like bar, like this security guard who Liz Ellis is, like all that sort of stuff. But anyway, she still couldn't get in. So even if you're Liz Ellis, you can't get in without an ID, even wow. for 45. I had to go home, get her ID, come out. But, yeah, she was the life of the party that night. So funny. That was a lot of it fun. It all made up for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> funny. Well, um, last year you were appointed captain of the Sloops, uh, and I've opened the season. You toyed ACL. Um, just tell us about your recovery and watching the girls from the, the sideline and how difficult that was and how you got through it. And, yeah. Like rehab, rehab. Yeah. Well, like uh, it was. Yeah, like the day I did it, like I remember it like so vividly. It's ridiculous. Like I remember I've never done an ACL before. Like as soon as anyone I'm sure that's listening has done one will know. Like, you know, I mean, apart from, I guess, people that pass through jail or whatever, but like there was no doubt in my mind that I'd done it because it just feels like a stick is snapping in half and you feel the pop and you feel it all go and it's, yeah, hard. Like it was like the most excruciating pain I've ever been in my life for about 30 seconds and then it goes away. Well, that's the thing, like, because you see that a lot, particularly with league players, is that at the at time they don't think it's an ACL no. because it's painful for the first few seconds yeah. and then it goes away. So they get up again and, yeah. and keep going and then... 
it's afterwards that it actually, they realize, they actually find out. And that was even like me. I think obviously in the moment I knew 100%, but then, yeah, you obviously don't know that you don't hear that it's like, oh, but then the pain goes away. And I'm there sort of having this half part of me. Maybe it's not. But anyway, yeah, so to that, I think for me it was like, yeah, that was heartbreaking for so many reasons in terms of like, obviously, first year as captain, first year for the, the Swifts, like we were sitting top of the ladder, like clear by a fair bit, like with everything had started to click from the last three years. Like I was probably playing the best netball of my life. Um, even in that game, was probably having one of the best games in my life. Like, you know, when you say you're sort of running hot and nothing can stop you, it was sort of one of those games. Um, so I guess, yeah, it was like the combination of devastation for all of that. And having been, it was like, what, my eighth season of playing at this level, I'd never played in finals. Like, and it was, we were like, we had by that time, like, already guaranteed a final spot. Um, so yeah, it was very, very emotional. But I think it was like, I, not quickly got over it, but I think living with the girls and being captain and being in Sydney and, and all of that meant that I kind of straight away shifted focus to being like, all right, well, I've still got a role to play. I can still, you know, contribute to the team as a leader and, and all that sort of thing. So travel to every game and, and kind of you hear of like some people that do it and just don't want to be involved. And then obviously I was the opposite in that I was like, no, nah, I still need to be around it because, um, yeah, obviously living with them and I, it's what I'm here to do is to be here for netball. So, um, yeah, was essentially a third coach. Or I use that word very lightly and that I don't think I'm by any means a, a coach, but, um, yeah, felt like I could still add a lot to the group while not obviously being on court. Um, the rehab itself is like, I've never known how extensive it is, like in terms of just like, learning how to walk again properly. Like, I never knew how hard it was to walk. Like, yeah. learning how to go heel toe and getting, you know, obviously the knee, it's like getting full extension is really hard, but also getting full flexion is really hard. I tore my meniscus as well, so I had to get that repaired, which meant that I couldn't bend my knee for sort of three months, oh, wow. um, as in past nine yeah, degrees. Yeah, so yeah. then after that, it took me a long time to be able to get that back. And I lost muscle. Like, I lost about five kilos in about five days. Like, it's because all they say that, you know, for – a shot glass full of fluid in your knee equates to 50% inhibition. So, like, I just, yeah, lost everything. And it was funny, as because when I was doing my knee, I'm like, I'm going to get so fat and I'm going to have to, like, <laughs> put all these stupid diets and lots of stuff and it ended up being oh. the opposite and that I had to just, like, try and go to protein and bulk and do all these stupid things, which I was like, this is, it's not easy to tell a girl that she has to take protein at night time and try and put muscle on. <laughs> so I was doing, like, two gym sessions a day for, like, three months and like I think the season was probably the easiest time in a way because I had the distraction of the girls playing and obviously while I didn't want to be on the court when you're on crutches and you can't walk you're like well I know that I can't be playing so whereas as the season went on I probably got to feel a bit better and obviously the grand final was like one of the best but also one of the hardest days ever because it's that epitome of being bittersweet because you're so happy and you still feel like you've played a role in getting there, but at the end of the day, you're not on the court. Um, so, yeah, amazing but also very, very hard. But I probably found those few months after that the hardest because it was when everyone's sort of in their off-season and then you're still having to just go to the gym and be on your own and it's a very, everyone says, like, rehab is a very lonely place. Mm. Um, but I was super lucky that, well, use the word lucky, but one of the other girls, Lauren Moore, did her shoulder at a similar sort of time and so we were able to train together and I think, yeah, the power of having her and having the S&C we had, um, yeah, made it a lot easier. Um, but then, yeah, kind of had smooth, like really lucky with my rehab was great and then just as I was getting back to doing court work again, tore my meniscus again. Oh, wow. um, and that was probably the hardest thing and that was only in like sort of uh, May maybe it happened or April no March April around the time that I was starting to get back into court 
And like, I was so much more upset after that than mm. I was after, cause I was like, A, the last 10 months have been for nothing, but yeah. I've just done all this rehab. And even though I mean, it's cause it's not as much, you still, you have three weeks of not doing anything and you've essentially lost everything yeah. you've done. Um, but then obviously, as I said earlier with the whole COVID thing, um, that meant that I was, yeah, going to miss a lot of the season. And then when COVID happened, it pushed the season back, that was that one sort of shining light. And yeah. I think from like a mental side of things, like, had that not happened, I think I would have really struggled in terms of missing half the first half of this season and then trying to get back into form and coming in when a team's already halfway through the year. Um, so, yeah, a, a big blessing in disguise what happened this year, which is horrible to say. But, yeah, um, it does have yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I say. I was like, if anyone was, you know, at least you know, for one person, yeah. you can say you know somebody that's had a good experience out of everything that's happened. Um, but, yeah, now back to full strength and obviously, yeah, it took a little while to build into it this year, but then kind of got back to, I guess, form that was enough to get me in the Diamond squad. So I think, yeah, kind of, you never want to be grateful for an injury, but I think it taught me so much about myself as a leader, about how much I wanted netball, how much I wanted to play, how much mm. I wanted to sort of succeed that, yeah, it probably took that to kind of turn me into a player that I was this year. Yeah. We well, obviously, like, you're the captain of the Swift, you experiences captain of the... Uh, under 21s Australian team. Why has captaincy and leadership always sort of been something that you felt come naturally to you, or was it very much had to the more experience you got, like you feel like the better you got at it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And like, I think it's, I even I've had like a few chats with people recently about the idea of being a leader and being captain. And I think for me, sometimes it was just because I do like to talk and I'm quite confident. And, you know, at school, I was always happy to put my hand up and answer a question. And, you know, you're always happy to be the one that's the first one to say something, which when you're young, you probably think, you know, A, if you're one of the best players in the team, B, if you're the one that likes to talk, like, well, yeah, that's perfect. I'll be, I'll be a leader. I'll be a captain. And particularly the under-21 stuff, like, I think, again, it was because I had been in that team for longest and maybe felt like, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. And, you know, if it's not going to be me, who will it be? So thing, I don't know who else would want to. And back when I was in 21, you had to actually put yourself forward and you had to go through like an interview process and, and do all of that. And so that kind of, yeah, I was like, all right, well, I'll give it a go. And the coaches sort of encouraged me to do it. And so, yeah, from there, I guess it happened. But I don't know whether that meant that I don't think I knew if I wanted it that much or if I was cut out for it because I've, always been sort of that joker character and as I said earlier about being you know maybe a bit immature at times and so I was kind of like oh shit now I'm gonna have to be the kind of serious one and the one that's like mm. gonna have to reel it back and I don't like having to tell people off and I like people to like me I don't want people to hate me because I'm this sort of bitch of a captain or whatever <laughs> um so I think I probably took a little while to work that out and then in I guess in 21s it's not easier, but you are young anyway, so you get away with kind of being young and the coaches help you through a lot of it and it's like your role is not that big in terms of, you know, you might do a few extra interviews or you might be the one that says something here and there, but only being 18, 19, you're kind of not expected to do that much. Um, but, yeah, it probably hasn't been since being at the Swifts that that's when I was like, okay, A, like do I want to be a leader and B, do I have what it takes? And I think the biggest thing with this or last year was that it was voted by the players and they we, that's all we did. We just did a vote and I got voted and so that probably gave me that confidence in knowing that I kind of had what it took and that's probably when I was like, oh, okay, again, shit, now do I have to turn into this totally different yeah. person that's this dictator that tells everyone what to do? But um, something I said from the beginning was like, well, the girls voted me to be captain the way that I am, so yeah. I'm not going to you know go and become this person because that's not the person that they wanted to be the captain. So probably, yeah, stuck a lot of that 
for that year and it, it sort of seemed to work and I think the leadership group with Paige and Maddie, like we got a really good dynamic and even on court, like Paige is so passionate and it's like kind of almost one that drives that sort of side of things whereas I probably do a lot more of the off-court stuff and we've kind of found a good balance. But I also think, again, doing my knee meant that I was able to focus a lot on the leadership side of things without the kind of pressure of playing, which sometimes is what's hardest being a captain, I think, is if you're not performing well, how can you be the one that's telling other people mm. to perform well? And, again, like I, I still think that that's something I'm working on and I think that to be a leader, it's like anything yet. You need to get help and you need to get work and I'm kind of in the process now of yeah, trying to develop that in through whether it's with a mentor or with a something along those lines. Like I I think that's probably a misconception in that they do say leaders are born or made and it's like, well, I think it's a bit of both. You've got to have that natural characteristics. But I think, yeah, for me, I've been able to admit that I, I need help in certain areas to make sure that I can be the best captain I can be for everyone but also for myself. Like I think sometimes I get caught up in trying to do everything mm. that it was like, am I even focusing on playing netball or am I too worried about X, Y, and Z? Yeah. So that's something that, yeah, even now, like having this time off um, into next year, I think I can do a lot of work to, yeah, improve heading into the mm. following season. Um, so you talk about, like, captaincy and leadership. And uh, so in this whole overall conversation, all four of us are, are captains in our own Ooh. respective. So it's all very, uh, all very fancy, <laughs> all very, rooms. yeah. <laughs> Like-minded Yeah, people. the only difference is you're captain of a of Australia. a state, of, of, of a state uh, representative team. We're just we're just park cricket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's captain of the podcast well, Nick, though? Well, Nick's oh, Nick. oh right, Nick's yeah. the leader. Yeah, uh, there Nick, you go. Nick does the intro. Yeah. Nick doesn't even have to be here. He yeah, we're allowed to tell people that he's actually on the phone. I think I'll, I think I'll <laughs> Well, Nick's a 21s captain as well, so oh, yeah, go, a bit of, bit of common ground here. Would, where do you go for your World Youth Cup? I told you oh, I was a <laughs> Just don't call me chief. <laughs> oh no, champion is my. Uh, but, um, that's another story actually for a night out. Oh, if someone called wow. me a champion and I nearly end up in my first fight ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, understandable though. And it was a guy as well, and he's like, keep walking, oh, champion. And I was oh, like, literally, like, to the point in the movies, like, managed to have to hold me back. And I was like, I don't know what I would have done because I could not fight to save my life. And he was fighting my sunrise, but, you know, he had to get under my skin. He's <laughs> calling me champion. But um, obviously, like, because us three are all sort of quite young captains and quite new to the role. Um, so we haven't really had the experience of, of getting a spray. And we've been on the back ends of a lot of sprays, yeah. but we haven't had that experience of so giving a spray. Is there any sort of stories you have of someone's got you under your skin in the team and you pulled them aside and gave them a big old spray? Uh, or sprays that you've received? Well, I've probably received more sprays, I think, huh. than I've given out. I think for me, again, back to the whole, like, you know, the way that I want to be a leader, it was kind of the whole, like, develop relationships and then if you build those relationships and it's easy to have the tough conversations and that's something that we've talked about a lot as a team is that, giving those sprays or giving feedback is often harder for the person giving it than it often is for the person receiving it because no one wants to be the bad guy that has to give them. Um, and that probably, like, when I think about my weaknesses as a captain, that, like, from the beginning was probably one of them and something that I had to work on was because, yeah, I didn't, as I said, didn't want to have conflict and didn't want people not to like me and was, you know, worried about, oh, shit, if I have a go at her, what if she then says – anyway, so that's something I had to work on. But the the longer I've gone on, the better I've got at it. Um, I don't think I've had to give too many, like, big sprays. There's been a few times where I've probably just had to pull people aside, like, individually and just say, like, you know, was that on? And I don't know whether 
it would be beneficial for the team if I was the person that gave this break. I think they would know it's not kind of authentic because it's mm. not. Well, I'm saying that like I've been out, you know, I can have the, you know, be a bit like, you know, that's not good enough or let's do this sort of thing. But I think the whole, you know, dropping F-bombs and spitting in yeah. people's faces is not kind of in my nature. Um, so I try and, yeah, avoid that. Um yeah, sprays I've gotten, like probably more from coaches and rather than captains. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're definitely not nice. They, <laughs> they that, we actually, actually, you'd say that Bryony did set us a challenge, our coach, one one year, and it was to me and Paige. It was at a train. No, me and Sophie Garvin who lives here, and she came out to us before the game. And she's like, you guys just have to be bitches this session. And she's like, you just have to be, like, just at each other, at, like, other people for, like, everything. Like, if there's a drop ball, you just have to, like, just go on and on about it. And, like, that was honestly one of the hardest things we've ever had to do because obviously the rest of the team didn't know about it. And in saying that, I think Sophie was much better than I was, which maybe says a lot. <laughs> I don't know if this is more about me or her. Um, but, yeah, that was, like, very, very tough. And I think I could see, like, a few girls giving me these kind of weird looks and, like, they just knew that it wasn't something I was comfortable doing. Um but yeah, I guess it's something that I don't not saying you have to learn to do it, but I think you can do it in the right way um, to make it effective. But in saying that, I'd love to see you guys give it a go. I think you've got to like, like work out what sort of like even back to the Liz Ellis one of the Brian saying like, that she was that captain, she was one that would you know, just that's not good enough and very direct in that, and it obviously worked because she was an amazing captain. But I'm like, I don't think I have it in me to be that person, and so I think I've got to find my own strength in, in other ways. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think if you yeah, if you stray too far from what your natural personality is, then a people aren't going to buy it because they're going to know it's not you. And also, yeah, whether it's, that's the most effective thing, I don't know. But it does definitely does work for others. So mm. I applaud those that are able to do it. <laughs> I just don't think I yeah have any. Have you given any sprays, Nick? Um, I have I have given a few little little sprays. Not luckily for me, the the coach I've got for my under twenty one team is quite possibly the the angriest man alive. So um, he, he gets most of the spray. Um, so it's more me just giving little little hints and, and tips kind of throughout the game rather than giving bad sprays. You're just standing behind and going, yeah, Phil. Go, Phil. Is that under 20 yeah. like for New South Wales? Or no, just, just like great. Oh, no, it's yeah. just, um, yeah, just great, like yeah. club cricket, yeah. yeah, yeah. You could have gone along with it, Nick. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, sorry, yeah, right? yeah. No, no, sorry, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah New South Wales, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, being a, a young aspiring netballer, um, <laughs> I do play in a, in a mixed netball team on a Thursday night. Uh, we do have a few listeners that also play in that team, so I'm just asking if you've got any, any tips for us aspiring netballers um, that may be able to help our game and just improve us to potentially go on and play uh, for higher levels and higher honours. I will say I have filled in like years ago, like but for some of my friends, like social netball teams, and I don't think there are in, there are anybody more aggressive than social netballers. <laughs> I'm like, I, I agree. They are ridiculous. It's <laughs> insane. I'm just like, it's obviously all these people that work these nine to five jobs that just yeah, let off some steam and wow, like, yeah, I, I have a special um, admiration and respect for those that play social netball, particularly so mixed social netball. So, um, yeah, congratulations to you guys. Um, number one, we were talking earlier about not putting your foot on the line. Netball's full of rules. So if you can get the rules uh, under wraps, then I think you'll be all right for starters. I'm still learning some of the rules. Like, I'm terrible. I didn't know you – you're not allowed to roll the ball on the ground, which I I haven't ever tried, so I didn't know it was a rule. But happened in one of the games, and I was like, why can't you do that? So 
Um, number yeah. one rule would be know the rules. Um, <laughs> and just stick to the basics, Nick. I think that's what we say. Even, even, at, the, even at the top level, it's all about ball skills. Netball's a simple game of passing and catching. If you can get the passing and catching down pat, you'll, you'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I find that like half the time when the whistle blows, I've just got no idea yes. what's going on. And sometimes the umpires aren't great at like clarifying why they're blowing their whistles. Uh, particularly, I think at social netball level, they probably don't feel like they need to, you know, justify their decisions. So yeah, it is. Um, they're very, very whistle happy. The uh, the netball umpires, I think they like that authority. But yeah, it's um, it can be very frustrating. I can imagine. Yeah, but I couldn't agree more that uh. Social netball is quite possibly one of the most aggressive sports yeah. out there. Like, yeah. I've, I've copped copious exactly amounts right. of elbows and like shoulder charges from both girls and boys oh, on the other team. Yeah. Like it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, so sort of gone away from netball a little bit. I feel like we've sat here and just spoken about netball. Oh, get away from it. So obviously, like your experience in the in the podcast game, you, you, you've got your own podcast, and you've also got a children's book. Yes, you like to talk us through that. Yeah, this is my my time for a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> the, the podcast is called I Wrote a Book, so it's about the book. So the podcast is essentially a. Have you guys listened to the? This is going to. Don't read it. Uh, listeners, don't take this the wrong way. Have you guys listened to the My Dad Wrote a Porno um, podcast? No, I can't Actually, I, I haven't listened to it, but I've heard shorts of it. Well, so, yeah, essentially it's like this guy in England whose his dad has written a porno and it's him and his friends read this porno aloud and they just take <laughs> shit. Like, they just take the shit out of each other the whole time. Anyway, I did not write a porno. I wrote a children's book that does not involve any <laughs> form of pornography. But anyway, now I've really gone down the hole. The kind of idea (laughs) this podcast came off of that in terms of I read two chapters of Grace on the Court each episode and Sophie Garvin, friend, teammate, housemate, essentially just tears it to shreds and (laughs) asks questions about it, pays me out for why I wrote certain things. Um, So, yeah, it was was for actually a uni assignment but then we just had a bit of fun with it and it was our version of doing like an audio book but making an audio book a bit more fun and giving some listeners you know, some extra insight into behind the scenes of Grace on the Court. Um, but, yeah, Grace on the Court is my book that I wrote. Um, actually, we've talked a lot about 21s. It was off the back of that World Youth Cup. I got home to Adelaide and didn't have a job, wasn't uh, – had deferred uni. I was doing a marketing degree but had deferred that for the semester because we were overseas and then um, had always loved writing as a journalist. Um, kind of uh, – you guys might have heard of the book Specky McGee. Yeah, yeah, I read it. Did your mum do that? No, 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 sorry, no. Oh. No, no, no. Sorry, this is in the next sentence. Oh, um, okay. I'd love Specky McGee. Yeah, yeah. Specky I, I McGee. really like that. Yeah, book, like yeah. favourite book and it was obviously about young boy playing AFL and I sort of, yeah, thought there weren't a whole lot of those sorts of books out there for young girls, particularly about netball. So, um, yeah, sort of thought, why don't I give it a go writing something and actually as nerdy as it sounds, kind of wrote it for fun at the start, didn't ever imagine that it would get published and didn't even think I'd finish it but Showed it to my mum, who obviously had a bit, like, she's worked editing for newspapers and so kind of loves all that sort of stuff, being a journo. Um, and so she read it and was like, you know, this isn't half bad. Why don't you keep going with it? And then, yeah, wrote it. In, so that would have been sort of the end of 2013, start 2014, and then um, didn't really know where to go from there, but ended up, yeah, getting an agent, a literary agent, who sent it to a publisher and then, yeah, got it out there. So wow. it took, like, I, yeah, wrote it. I said 2014 didn't come out to 2018. Like it's a long process, um, but yeah, now I've kind of 
loved the writing side of things. I've actually written the sequel to it, which I'm waiting well, hopefully for it to get published and I'm almost finished my master's in creative writing now. So even talking about the AIS side of things, I'm now writing another book that's sort of for older, sort of young adult, which is about four different athletes looking at the AIS, um, sort of following their journeys and what goes on there. Um, so, yeah, and now trying to get into the writing game and enjoying it, but it's hard and it's long and it's frustrating <laughs> and a lot of writer's block. Um, but, yeah, hoping that I can kind of keep going with that. And, yeah, obviously love, I think, for young girls, particularly reading and playing sport are such a you know big part of developing them and particularly Grace on the Court is about a girl starting high school and it's all about kind of that transition from primary school to high school follows their netball season, kind of themes of bullying and, and all that sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think that if young girls can read and play netball, it can kind of help them get through those years and, yeah, have – you know, my favourite time of the year is book week because young girls often dress up as Grace. It's the easiest. If any mums oh, are listening, yeah. dressing up as Grace Parker from Grace and the Girl is the easiest netball costume ever. Sorry, book week costume because you just dress up it as a netballer and hold the book and it's <laughs> easy and anything. But, yeah, love kind of getting sent photos of that and messages of, you know, either get mums that say, you know, my daughter's never read a book before and she read your book in one night or on the flip side you get people that say, you know, my daughter loves reading but never played sport and now she wants to play netball and, yeah, it hasn't made the bestsellers list or anything like that. But even just, yeah, getting some little messages like that make me very happy. So, That's um, awesome. Yeah, enjoy I that. haven't heard anything from JK Rowling yet. They do call me JK Proud. Me and JK might do you know, a Harry Potter, a Grace yeah, Michael collaboration. Team up, I yeah. must admit, I'm I think people yeah. like wizards a lot more yeah, than they well. like netball, unfortunately. Nick, Nick would love that. He's a Harry Potter. Really? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm I'm a Harry Potter nerd. Crossover. Maybe Harry comes into, into Grace's life. Maybe she reads Harry Potter and then something <laughs> can go from there. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sold. I'm definitely going to read that. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you have any advice or um, anything or advice on resilience? Like, you obviously came back from... Um, yeah, I guess like with the, the resilience side of things and the, the netball side of things, like I think as netballers, we're very lucky. It's, it's sort of you can take it either way. You're either lucky because we're not sort of fully professional yet, which means that we still get paid and we get paid a decent amount. A lot of us can live off of just playing netball, but it often means you have to have something outside of netball. And even when I did my knee, I said that, you know, this idea of having all your eggs in one basket and then if that, you know, one basket is taken away, what, you know, finding your purpose and finding something to fill that hole can be pretty tough. And that's, I probably struggled a little bit with that early on, even though I did have other things outside of, of netball. It definitely made me look at what I was doing outside of that to kind of keep me going and that's when you know when I did my knee I started up my website which is now where I sell my book off of and you know definitely create opportunities for me to work on other parts of my life so I think um, you know, being well-rounded and that's in, in anything it doesn't have to be in sport but it's in life you know not just putting everything into one thing um, because yeah if that thing doesn't work out then um, it could be pretty hard and then you know everything that goes that um, I also say, you know, in terms of for young netballers, it's just never, you know, as long as you're enjoying playing, like there's no reason to stop. I think, you know, I didn't make under 15 state teams. I, you know, missed out on a few of the teams here and there. And, you know, you hear of other girls that don't make it until their mid-20s and, and, and things like that. So just making sure that, you know, you might have one coach that tells you you're not good enough, but that's no reason to sort of stop. And, um, yeah, I think we always say that the day that we stop enjoying playing netball will be the day that we stop playing and I'm still playing it, you know. 
26 years later or whatever. And, um, yeah, I think it's, that's the most important thing. There's no point in doing something if you're not going to enjoy it. It doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it all the time. And, you know, when you have an injury that puts you out of the game for a year, that, if anything, taught me just how much I did love playing it because as soon as it was taken away, I just realised how much I missed it. So, um, yeah, that would be my, my main advice. And go and buy Grace on the Court in all good bookstores. That's Yeah, Pretty crazy. You mentioned it a couple of times. Just blasted it. You said you didn't make the under-15 state team, but then the next year you got signed to the company. I don't. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. Well, mind you, when I was, it was 15 and under, so I must have been 14. Oh, yeah. I made yeah, the under-17s team the following year when I was 15. Yeah, you're right. Like, literally in the space of two years, you yeah. go from telling my mum I'm going to quit and become a professional tennis player because they get paid more, um, <laughs> to then, yeah, being Thunderbirds sort of two years later. So probably never really thought about it like that, but lucky you've done your research. Oh, you're all over. Oh, I was just listening. That. <laughs> Is there a bit of sledging on the netball court? Like, yeah. did you get under their skin? Some people do. I, like, if I'm playing centre, I'm like, I'm trying to catch my breath. I can't speak. <laughs> but, yeah, a lot of girls do. I used to play with girls, like, when she was standing out of play, she'd, like, blow in the girl's ear. <laughs> and it was so funny. Or she'd just, like, yeah, talk the shit the whole time and she's got a hand over the ball. So a little bit goes on, but probably not as much as other sports. That's <laughs> really funny. Anyway. Yeah, well, thanks again for having us. Yeah, thanks again for, for being board. on. Thank I really you. appreciate being so generous with your time. Yeah, good luck with the Diamonds. When does that yeah. season start? Well, we've got sort of like an Aussie camp potentially mid-Jan, but it's all dependent on, again, COVID. Like, we might have a tour in New Zealand at the end, mid to late Jan, so to say, but depending on borders and, and everything. Um, it's all a bit up in the air at the moment, but, yeah, hopefully something can happen and hopefully I... Get myself into this. Awesome. Don't bowl there, boys, if you want. Thank you. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. This is the Don't Bowl Podcast. I'm Adam, Craig, Nick, and Maddie. Thank you. Until next time. Appreciate it, gu